Welcome to the supporting cast. This is Eli Goldsmith. Today's guest is actor Dulé Hill, best known for playing Detective Gus Guster in the USA series Psych, and Charlie Young, personal aide to President Jed Bartlett on NBC's The West Wing. In this episode, Dulé speaks about growing up in Sayreville, New Jersey, as the son of Jamaican immigrants and how exposure to ballet and tap, beginning at age three, set Dulé on a path that would eventually place him on Broadway in The Tap Dance Kid, initially understudying for Savion Glover before starring in the production himself at age 10. Then, as a college student at Seton Hall, Dulé would again hear from Savion Glover, this time inviting him to join the Tony Award-winning Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk, in which Dulé would eventually also star on Broadway, cementing his aspiration to become a working actor. But the journey wasn't always an easy one. After moving to Los Angeles and initially struggling to find consistent work, Dulé was dropped by his talent agency. Relying on the wisdom of a lifelong teacher and mentor, Dr. Ibrahim Abdul-Malik, Dulé recommitted himself to acting and subsequently scored the audition of his life, a pilot called The West Wing. Dulé Hill, on tap dancing through Aaron Sorkin's dialogue, the eminence and benevolence of Martin Sheen, and the importance of exposure to and representation in the performing arts. This is The Supporting Cast. Supporting cast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So we're starting off really every conversation this season around how people are doing personally. And uh, this has been a unique year for you. You're a parent. You're also a, a working actor. And so I'm sure it has impacted you, the COVID pandemic, both personally and professionally. But let's start personally. How are you and Jasmine and, and your kids doing personally? I think overall we are doing well. I mean, we're, we're thankful. We're safe. We're healthy. So overall, we're doing well. The last year has been challenging because like most people, the world just stopped. Life, yeah. even though life always goes on, life as we knew it completely stopped. Before the pandemic, we would often move around a lot. We were a lot of moving pieces. Kennedy has a, a very busy schedule. Yep. We'd be traveling back and forth for, I mean, the last time I was doing a film in Toronto, so I was, I was there a lot. Jasmine, the same thing. She was filming in Atlanta and then back. But then uh, the pandemic hit and everything stopped. We were at home. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, it, was, it was good because we were able to spend time together, which I know that we would not have been afforded that kind of quality time yeah. outside of a pandemic, but also was challenging because you, you're doing the same thing over and over again. And we had, well, he's now two now, but we had a one-year-old. Right. <laughs> who for him, he was like, this is great. He's like, my mom is here, my dad is here, my sister is here every day, all day. This is the life. I don't know much about life, but I know this is it. <laughs> but yeah. I, well, it's funny. I have a two and a half year old and, and most of the people mm-hmm. who I've talked to on this podcast have, have, I know you have an older child as well. Your son just turned two. Is that right? Just turned two, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a great time 
to be home because they're not learning yet. They don't have to deal with sort of virtual learning and they have mommy and daddy home all the time. Was that your experience? It was great. Yeah, for him and for us, it was really good having him around, I think, for all three of us because with all of the uncertainty in the world and unrest in the world, the world being tilted on its axis, it was nice to have joy always roaming throughout the house. Everything was just... He just loved having us around, loved seeing me, loved seeing Jasmine, loved seeing Kennedy. And it really brought a light into our lives that I think uh, helped us along the way. Yeah. I mean, toddlers, anytime they discover something new, it's amazing, you know? And so it helps you. It it connects you back to sort of the amazement of everyday life. And in a time when you're feeling that sort of anxiety, what's going to happen in the future, it kind of grounds you. It makes you a little more present. Yeah. To take in the moment, to enjoy the simplicity of the moment, to enjoy this moment for what it is and not think yeah. too much beyond beyond that. So that, that was the last year. I mean, I've gone through some loss. You know, I've had uh, my aunt passed away from complications oh. of COVID. My 27-year-old cousin passed away from complications of COVID. So it, it definitely has rocked, <laughs> rocked me in that way a little bit because it was mm. both, they both were unexpected passings. But uh, it lets me know that that it is real. Sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, no, this is not anything to play with. And right. I don't think you can be too cautious. Even though I think oftentimes it's when you are, when it doesn't hit close to home, it, it's very easy to turn your nose up at it or brush it off as if it's not that big of a deal. But when it hits someone who's close to you, yeah, then it, it makes you take pause for a second to realize what's at stake. And then also it challenges you to be, to take steps so that hopefully someone else doesn't have to go through that because you want to right. make sure that you were not a, that you were helping the problem, not caught, not being a, being a cause of the problem or making the problem worse. And, you know, still, I mean, you mentioned before we got on that you are in Vancouver right now, quarantining yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> because you have, again, because <laughs> you have crossed into Canada, you're about to start a movie. And so you're kind of still facing the impacts of, of COVID professionally. As well as personally. Yeah, on the professional side, I mean, because 2020, the industry had shut down, especially for Jasmine and I, we, we were home. We did one yeah. movie at the end of, end of last year, a movie called Lockdown. That was uh, done by Doug Lyman, and it started uh, Anne Hathaway and Chiwetel Ojafor. Mm-hmm. We filmed that at home during quarantine. They were over in London, and all through technology, we were able to do our scenes from home, which was a whole different and wow. new experience because you're... Still, Kennedy is in her room going to school. Levi is there <laughs> doing his routine. Yeah. And at the same time, we're trying to do a, film a movie. But we got it done. So that was unique and, and different. But then as we got into 2021, things have now started to open back up again. Right. Uh, we just finished up in Atlanta where Jasmine finished the second series, second season of the show she's on, Raising Dion. And then now we're here in Vancouver. We just left there maybe like about a week ago, a week or two ago. Now we, we're here in Vancouver getting ready to film the next Psych movie, Psych 3. Right. And, uh, you both are in the movie, right? Yes. Yeah, we're both in the movie. I, I did the eight seasons of the series, and then Jasmine joined right. us for the, the Psych the Movie 1, Psych 2, and now Psych 3. But uh, when you cross the border now, before it used to be very easy. You come across, you, you land, you film, and you go on about your business. But now when you cross the border, you have to quarantine for two weeks. And this is actually the second time that I'm quarantining because I came here early in the year to do a film. Uh, for mm. Netflix, and I had to sit in a room or you know a one bedroom apartment for two weeks. I watched a lot of TV, 
<laughs> what are you Street watching, Dulé? Uh, right, na- right now, we're watching The Nevers, which is a ah. very good show on HBO Max. That's a, a very interesting show. That's the main show that we're watching right now. I think when I was in quarantine last time, I picked up, I went back and watched uh, The Nick, mm. which was a very good show, too. So I did that, and now we're back here quarantining again. I was telling Jasmine the other day, I said, it's crazy, because once I finish this quarantine, by the end of this year, I would have spent an entire month just quarantining to work. <laughs> To, yeah. <laughs> it's like just quarantine. You, and you can't leave the house. You can't go anywhere. They call and check on you. You have to check in. It's pretty crazy. But huh. you know, the, you know, the nation's doing with it what they feel is right to do to keep their people safe. And once you're finished and you guys start shooting, are there additional protocols when you start filming, or have those started to lift as well? No, those those protocols are are still there. You you know, yeah. uh, we'll have to get tested three times a week. There's different zones. So before, pretty much everybody would just all interact with everybody. Now you're really only interacting with those that you have to interact with just to contain the spread if there was a possible infection along the way. So that gets a little different. And there is not as much hanging out. Like it was a very social Mm. set before. They're they're still social, but not as social. You're keeping your distance and things like that. And what about working with Jasmine? I mean, you guys are, are married. You're raising a two-year-old. You're raising a high school student as well. How does it work kind of working together professionally and working together kind of as parents? Both are wonderful. I love working with Jasmine. We have a, a good time, especially on a show here like Sight, which yeah. is such a lighthearted show. We come right. and we laugh and we have a, a good time. We met each other on another TV series called Ballers, which is right. on HBO. So we, we started our relationship working together. So it's just makes sense that we just continue to carry it on along, you know, along the journey. Yeah. And it's fun because it's great when we can do things together and then step off and do things separately and then have another opportunity to come back and work together for, you know, a finite period of time and then go back and do other things separately. It's uh, I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Well, before we get to kind of your beginnings and, and you growing up, I know in New Jersey and you mentioned you had lost a couple of family members to COVID and, you know, the series is called The Supporting Cast and we talk about mm. people kind of coming to, to support us maybe in difficult times. When your family experienced those losses, kind of where did people turn? Who, who were the people that kind of stepped in and supported you? Was it difficult to connect with family members because you couldn't go and grieve personally together in one room? I'm just curious how that was for you and your family. For me, that was the hardest part, uh, yeah. especially with the loss of my younger cousin because I'm very close to his mom. And I was actually here in Vancouver the last time filming when that happened. And my normal instinct throughout my life has always been, here I come. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the plane. I'm right there. And we're going to be together at least for this period of time. Not being able to do that was challenging for for me. Not being able to be around the family, be around those who knew my cousin. And the same thing with my my aunt too, who passed away. My instinct would always be, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to go and be around, be around the family. It, it was not the wisest thing for me to do, <laughs> so yeah. I chose not to. Especially having such a young child, yeah, you have to kind of redirect your your priorities a little bit to say, okay, yeah, I need to do what I can do to make sure that my family stays safe. So uh, it was challenging, but I mean, you know, you still have technology, so you talk and you call and, yeah. and this and that. But it's it's just a weird time, and there's no. I think there's no real roadmap of how to navigate it. You, we're all just trying to figure it out along the way. And, and the, th- the sad thing about those moments, more than anything, was that it really stuck to me that this is happening every day. Yeah. 
it's not you know you you hear about these numbers and you're like oh okay so many like, right you, it can you, seem you, like a statistic it can seem very distant but it's the day that happens where it's your number yeah you're like wait a second that one that's been added that's an experience that i'm actually directly connected to now yeah it really i guess uh, changes the the realization of it the the effect of it you of of those numbers you say wow these are all these people are go all these families are being affected in this way in yeah this state in this nation in this world it's a it's a lot yeah well now i would love to get back to your uh, upbringing and so you were born in yeah. new jersey born and raised yeah i was born in orange new jersey and i grew up in a town called saraville new mm. jersey uh, my family's from jamaica so i'm a first generation immigrant both my mom and dad were, were born and raised in in jamaica and we go back many generations there but yes new jersey is my is my home state and Saraville is my is my hometown. I always throw out my little claims to fame about about Saraville. People might not know of Saraville, but you know we are home to a few different people from Saraville. First, okay. I will say there was a a guy named Greg Evigan who was in a TV show called BJ and the Bear. Okay, it was a hit show back in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> Another hit show back in the nineteen eighties was called Who's the Boss. Sure. And there was a young child in there named Danny Pintaro. And Danny Pintaro okay. is from Saraville, New Jersey. Okay. And then uh, if that doesn't blow you away, then, you know, there's a there's a rocker that you all might know of from Saraville, New Jersey. And his name is John Bon Jovi. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. See, you, you have to build <laughs> up to it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was in a, some people, in, you know, who are. My age, I mean, I would put Dulé Hill above John Bon Jovi personally. I mean, I mean, of course. Know? I mean, I think John would put Dulé Hill above John Bon Jovi. <laughs> but I actually went to school with, I went to middle school with his younger brother. And we're actually oh, is that right? still oh. friends. But I, I think folks from- Bon Jovi, the 80s, right? Isn't it uh, B-O-N-G-I, right? Isn't that how it's yes. spelled? Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. Bon Jovi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, people from who are in my age range might remember when MTV back in the 80s gave away Bon Jovi's house. That was a big, at least, at least in my town, it was a big thing because MTV was coming to Saraville, New Jersey to wow. give away John Bon Jovi's house. And that was around the time I was growing up there. But yeah, <laughs> that's my, that's, that's my Saraville, <laughs> New Jersey story. And Dulé is your middle name. Is that right? Yes. Dulé is my middle name. My first name is Kareem. Kareem Dulé Hill. And were you, did you always go by Dulé or was that I something did. when you became an actor? No, from a, from a child, I've always been Dulé. Even in school, I would always be called Dulé, especially growing up in the 80s, it was very interesting because as soon as I would hear my name in school, in elementary school, there weren't a lot of black kids or people of color at all in my town. I think my brother and I may have been the the first in the entire school system at the time. And we, as we got older, more, more came in. But if I recall correctly, we were, it was just my, my brother and myself. And then a few years later, some other friends of mine came in. But uh, every time I would say my name, of course, the teacher would say, oh, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Do you play basketball? No, I don't. My family's from Jamaica. I play soccer. You know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah. It's always, yeah. I don't know. It's always just get to me that that's how they would only associate my name with him. And then also because he played basketball, I must play basketball. Yeah. And I was a soccer player and a tap dancer. So it just, it was all very confusing to me. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, no, but I've always, my cousins and my family would always call me Dulé as a kid. So once yeah. I started to do, performing professionally, I stayed with it. With Dulé? Yeah. And so you mentioned you're a dancer. You, at what age did you start dancing? I started going to dance school at the age of three, back wow. in East, East Orange, New Jersey. My mom was a ballet teacher there at the dance school. Ah. My brother and my cousins used to all go there, and I really wanted to 
go and just be and be around then. The dance school was called Marie Wildey School of Dance in East Orange, New Jersey. <laughs> I always wanted to be around then, so that's why that's why I was going just to follow the crowd. And then yeah. at the age of nine or eight, really, but I got the show when I was nine. A show called The Tap Dance Kid came to my dance school looking for kids who could sing and dance. Uh-huh. I auditioned, and then the next thing I know, I was understudying Savion Glover on in the Broadway show The Tap Dance Kid. Wow! At what age? By the time I performed for the first time, that was I was ten years old. I got the job wow. when I was I started rehearsing for the job when I was nine, and it was at wow. it, was at, it was at the Miskoff Theater on Forty Fifth Street in Broadway, which is now where uh, the Lion King has been huh. running for years. Um, so I guess that that brings me to, to two questions. First, your mom was a, a ballet teacher and got you started. What did you learn from your mom in, in being a, a ballet instructor as a kid? In that situation, it was more just about exposing myself to the arts. That's yeah. That's what I I learned the exposure. My mom, I brought myself and my brother to dance school, and thankfully she did do that because for myself, the arts has been the journey of a lifetime. Yeah, and exposure means everything. Just having yeah. the opportunity to experience something can make all the difference in the world. I, if I had not had the opportunity to take ballet, to take jazz, to take tap, I don't know if I find myself on the same journey that I'm on. Right. Which is why I'm a big believer in supporting the arts, uh, arts education, arts in schools. Exposure means it makes all the difference in the world. What, Especially at a young age, it yeah. expands your mind. It lets you realize the endless opportunities of what you can do or the endless, I guess, really distances where you can go as a being just by being exposed to certain things. If you just lock me in a room and don't give me a chance to see outside these four walls, then all these, these four walls are all that I know. But if yeah. you give me an opportunity to just peer over and see like, oh, that's over there, then I can start to dream about getting there. I can start leaning into getting there. And once I can have that inspiration, then I can have the direction to pursue that path. And so you said you understudied under Savion Glover for this show mm-hmm. when you were a kid. You ended up also working with him in later in your life. Is uh, that yeah, right? I did. I'm, I actually have to go back a little bit because in the Tap Dance Kid, I understudied Savion Glover on the Broadway show. Yeah. But then a few months later, I did the lead role on the national tour for a year. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I did that and then went back and worked with Savion again in Bring Noise. Before that, right. he originated a role in a show called Black and Blue on Broadway in, 89, in 1989, 90 around then. And then when he left, I kind of was able to join the cast. So we've kind of crisscrossed over the years. And then he yeah. was doing a show. After that, he was doing a show called uh, Bring Noise. He needed one more dancer. And I was actually in a, I was in my junior year at Seton Hall University. I was a business finance major and my goal was to go off to law school. And then one day, Savion called me and asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm just here in Jersey going to school, knocking it out. And he said, uh, well, I need one more dance. I'm doing a show at the public theater called Bring Noise, Bring the Funk. I said, uh, he said, you want to come through? I said, yeah, I'll come on through. And I went through and we danced for a little bit. And next thing I know, I was a part of the cast. Wow. You know, as they always say, the, the rest is history. Because from, from that runoff Broadway at the Public Theater, we went to Broadway and ran there for, uh, I think, two years. The show was nominated for Best Musical. It had like 10 yeah. Tony Award nominations. Savion won a Tony Award. George C. Wolfe won a Tony Award for directing. Uh, it was also with Jeffrey Wright, who was a, another yep. phen- phenomenal actor and artist. And that was that. And, yeah. and then, you know, and from there, that's what eventually got me to L.A. was after Noise Funk is when I made the jump and decided to move out west. 
Right, an audition for the West Wing and so forth. Right. Uh, I guess there are a couple questions then. What did you learn from Savion? Savion really taught me a lot about being an artist and owning the gift that is inside of you and letting it just take you wherever your unique being is going to go with it. I'll never forget the first time I went to the public and we started dancing. And he said, okay, dude, just just dance for a while. And you know, the beat was going, doom, 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 bat, doom, doom. And I started tapping to it. You know, I was swinging, and then he said, okay, dude, he said, he said, where's the one? And so I counted out. And he stopped in between the beat. He said, right now you are dancing on the down, but you are dancing on the one, two, three, four. He said, the dance happens in between. The artistry happens in between. The music happens in between. It's what you do in between the beats that makes the artist, that makes the dancer. That always stuck with me. I heard it. I started to apply it to myself in my dance. But then also, as I started to really lean into being an actor, I applied that there as well because the dialogue is going to be there. What really makes the difference between each actor, each artist, each dancer is what you do in between the notes. What you do in between the lines, that's what brings a performance alive. So that was one of the main things that he that he taught me that I think is still sticks with me today. You also mentioned that you had uh, an instructor in your youth that ended up being a mentor kind of throughout your whole life. I don't know if this mm-hmm. is a moment to, to kind of talk about him. Oh uh, Yeah, we're talking about Dr. Ibrahim Abdul Malik. I feel like as of late, I talk about him a lot because the older you get, you start realizing the impact that people have had on your life. And Dr. Yeah. Malik was, was one of the most smartest people, if not the smartest person that I ever knew. There wasn't an, a question that I would have that he wouldn't know the answer to. But the thing about Dr. Malik, he wouldn't just give me the answer. He would always challenge me to lean into the answer, to keep searching out the unknown. Just because I don't have the answer doesn't mean there's not an answer that exists. I just don't know it yet. Right. And, and he really taught me that quality of not giving up the pursuit of knowledge, not giving up the pursuit of figuring something out. That was one of the main things that he taught me that that has stuck with me throughout my life is, okay, well, well, what's going on here? What? I don't know this answer. Well, is it that you don't know the answer or you don't know the answer yet? Well, I don't know the answer yet. Aha. Hmm. So let's break it down. And then he would give me a piece of something. We would talk about it. I would get a little bit of a little clue on it. And then he would send me on my way to go and figure it out. And I think that is was very valuable for me because as I, I've come across crossroads or problems or intersections in my life where I don't necessarily know exactly what the answer is, that same process stays with me. Yeah. Of let me keep leaning in to try to figure it out because there is a solution to this problem. Hmm. I just don't know what the answer is yet. It's, I mean, and that applies in anything as well. As we're going through the pandemic right now, the year ago, the thing was this virus coming in. There was yeah. a solution to it. We just didn't know what the answer was yet. Now we're having the vaccines come out and this and that. Right. And there's still more solutions, more answers to helping us solve this equation that is facing us right now. We just have to keep leaning into it. And that's something I try to take with me throughout my life and throughout my journey. And hopefully I try to share that with people because I think if we can just not give up the pursuit of knowledge, not give up the yeah. pursuit of understanding beyond what we are, not throwing out, if we can just commit to not throwing our hands up yeah. And walking away, how many more problems can we solve individually and collectively? And where did you 
first cross paths with him and, and how was he oh, a mentor to you? Dr. Malik, I first crossed paths with when I was doing the, the lead role on the national tour of the Tap Dance Kid. Ah. And that's where I first met Dr. Malik. He came out and he was my tutor, our tutor, because there was a few of us who were on the show for the year plus that I was out there. And we stayed friends throughout his life. I mean, he passed away at, like, I think he was like 93 or something wow. by the time he passed away. And it was, uh, the last time I saw him was when Jasmine and I were in New York earlier in the year before the COVID hit. And I got a chance to bring Levi and he got a chance mm. to meet, meet Levi. But um, hmm. that's when I first met him and he's helped me throughout my high school years, studying for the SAT, yeah. you know, throughout college, throughout my adult years, through conversation. He really was someone that I admired a lot and I still do respect so much because he always inspired me to reach further. And oftentimes in life, that's all you need is you need someone to believe in you, believe that you can do something that uh, maybe you don't necessarily believe in yourself. And so when you were a kid and on this big tour, he was continuing your education because you couldn't be in a formal school at that point. Correct. Yeah, I was uh, yeah. I was going to public school back in, once again, Sarahville, New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was Emma L. Arleth was the, uh, was the elementary school that I was in. Yeah. And, th and thankfully that school worked with me. I worked with my parents to allow me to go on tour yeah. and still keep up my studies so I could be in line with my classmates while I was away. And I, I think I pretty much did my whole fifth grade on tour because by the time I came wow. back, I was in, I was in middle school, but yeah, he was, the, he was the tutor that, that was the liaison between the school and myself. And he taught me so much. And when you were at Seton Hall and had to leave then, did you take a leave or how did it work then when you were a college student? Well, I was, uh, I was in my junior year. Bring Noise was doing a show, but we were off Broadway at the public theater. We didn't have any yeah. understudies. This is Bring the Noise. Yeah. Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any understudies and you had to, you know, so we had to be there for a matinee, which is on Wednesday. There's one class that I was taking. The professor only had two tests. He had a midterm and a final. There were no other tests throughout the, throughout the class. The midterm was going to be on a Wednesday at, let's say, 2 o'clock. My performance was on a Wednesday at 2 o'clock. We didn't have any understudies. I signed a contract. So I went to the professor and I said, you know, sir, I'm doing the show at the public theater called Bring Noise, Bring the Funk. What? Bring the what? Bring the noise, bring the funk. Mm. It's a show that's off Broadway. We don't have any understudies. I can't miss that performance. Is there any way I can come and take the midterm early? I don't need to take it later. I can take it any day besides Wednesday during the day, any day. You, you, you let me know. I'll come and take it early. He said, yeah. no. He looked me straight in my face and said, no. I said, well, but sir, if I don't, you only give two tests. If I don't take this test, there's no possible way that I can pass this, this class. And I yeah. cannot be here on this day. He said, I don't know what to tell you. He said, you have to decide whether you want to be in show business or get a college degree. Wow. And, and just like, there was no... Huh. And was there any recourse? Could you go to a dean? Could you go to anyone else that... At the time, at least at the time that I didn't have that awareness yeah. for me of like, okay, well, let me go and keep trying to kind of work. Yeah. And, then and what, sometimes they, these professors are kind of, you know, in charge of their own domain. Right. I went back to him another time. He said, the best that I can do is give you an incomplete. <sighs> so I took the incomplete mm. and then I said, okay, if Noise Funk goes to Broadway, then I'm going to take a leave from college because I, I, I just knew what the process was with technical rehearsals and everything like that, that there would yeah. be no way that I could balance the both. It went to Broadway. I took the next semester off and then I re-enrolled in the fall 
And then I got this movie for Showtime called Color of Justice, which mm-hmm. is with uh, Judd Hurst, Bruce Davison, Gregory Hines, and F. Murray Abraham. So I had to leave again because that was filming in Toronto. Now, this teacher, I went to this teacher and said, I'm going to do this film. And she really did try to help me. She was like, Dulé, I really would love to help you, but you're going to be gone for six weeks or however long it was. Yeah. That's a very long time. I don't, I would love to help you. She had a much more open heart about it. Yeah. So while I was in Toronto, I just had to start making a choice for myself. I said, okay, this is starting to become a a conflict. So Dulé, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to go and be a corporate lawyer, go and get your finance degree and then go off to law school? Or do you want to pursue a career in the arts? Because right now this is getting to a point where you can't balance the both of them. Yeah. During that time is when I decided I really wanted to make a career of the arts. I'd always done it as a hobby mm-hmm. growing up, but at this point I want to make a career out of it. So when I finished the film, I came back home, I left Seton Hall, and then I enrolled in acting class with uh, William Esper at the William mm-hmm. Esper Studios. And I took classes there for the next uh, two years while I was doing Bring Noise on Broadway. And I always, you know, I kind of always add that part because I'm a big believer in education. I'm not yeah. always a believer that you have to go and get a college degree. That's just my own personal. Yeah. But whatever it is that you're passionate about, whatever it is you want to pursue, whatever it is that you are, what journey you want to go on in your life, you have to go and get educated on how to do it. Get the tools in your bag so that you know how to use those tools to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And so bringing the noise goes to Broadway mm-hmm. and that's really the big break that prepares you to then come out to, to LA. Yes, so. that starts to be the, the, the first real big break. I mean, I'd, I'd done a film yeah. In high school, uh, my senior year of high school, I did a movie called Sugar Hill, where I played Wesley Snipes when he was a teenager. He played this character named Romello Skuggs, and I, mm-hmm. I played him as a teenager. I'd done a Saturday morning TV show called City Kids, which was a Jim Henson production. So we had like out the next version of The Muppets. It didn't do well, so that's why you don't know about who these So you've Mexican. been working for a long time. I'm surprised that it was a choice that you were deciding between, that you yeah. weren't sort of pretty set on being an actor. You know, I, I planned on being a corporate lawyer. I really enjoyed yeah. it. I was like, I'm, that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go make some deals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, litigate litigate some corporate something. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, right. but the noise funk was the thing that kind of gave me a little bit of a calling card, I guess. Yeah. And, I, and I remember when I was, at that point, I had left a few times to go do some films also during the noise noise funk time and then when i was leaving to go do smart guy george wolf came to me and he said you know julia you know i'm always down to for you pursuing and growing and this and that but the in and out from the show is starting to affect with the dynamics of the show the, yeah. the lack of consistency so we're kind of getting to a point where you have to decide that's like another crossroads that came up you have to decide whether you want to stay in the show or whether you want to go and pursue your career beyond the show. Yeah. He said, look, I mean, the show has been out, out here already for, you know, a year and a half or however long it had been at that time. We already did the whole Tony run and did all the accolades and this and that. This is pretty much now just going to be a show that runs for however long it runs for. And then that'll be that. He said, if you want my opinion, I would suggest you go and keep building your career. Yeah. But, but it's up to you. You can be here or you can <laughs> go. So I decided to, I decided to leave. Mm. And then I came out to LA, did a smart guy, auditioned for stuff and went a long time without working. And then in the summer, Noise Funk had, hadn't recast my role yet. So they asked me to come back. And this is an interesting point too, because when I, I went back for a summer run of Bring Your Noise, but before I agreed to come back, I set an end date. I, I, think it, uh. I think it was like August 9th. I said, I'm down to come 
But August 9th is going to be my last performance. And I only want to do that because I knew that I could get used to making, in. making the check. Because I, yeah, I, right. I came out to L.A. and I stayed at the Universal Hilton. You know, they, they yep. smart guy put me up there for a couple of weeks while I was working. And then I stayed there for maybe another three weeks. You know, and I'm early 20s. And this I was on Broadway, but I'm not making ridiculous amount of money. But I'm there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stay in this room for an extra three weeks. I think I used up half of my savings <laughs> in just those yeah. three weeks. I was like, oh. Oh, I didn't realize that it was going to cost this much money to stay here. But I, yeah, <laughs> anyway, I went right. home. And it, August 9th was the day I said, okay, August 9th is going to be my final performance. Leading up to the week of my final performance, people would ask me, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm going I'm to go to L.A. and try to make it happen. But on August 9th, I'm leaving. Okay. The Sunday, my, the morning of my final performance, I got a call from my manager saying, Dulé, you just booked a movie. You have to be in L.A. on set. On Tuesday, Whoa. I'd auditioned for this movie earlier in the in the year. I thought I didn't get it, and then I came back to do the summer run of Noise Funk, and the movie was called She's All That. And oh, so, yeah. so I, I left Noise Funk on Sunday, flew out to LA on Monday, and, and was on the set Tuesday filming She's All That. But the thing that always stuck with me in that moment was something inside of my inside of my spirit was saying August 9th, Do not go mm. beyond that. And I know that if I had not already committed to being out of that show on that date, there is no way I would have gotten that call Sunday and they would have let me leave to hop back on the plane to go just be, be gone from the show just like that. Right. They had, right. Because they knew I was leaving on that day. They had made preparation for of course. my replacement to come in. That moment was one of the moments that really taught me to honor that voice that is inside of you, honor that spirit that is inside of you, even when it doesn't always make sense to somebody else. Yeah. Keep on pursuing your path. Because there's something that's there. That, that inner voice is, power, is a powerful thing that oftentimes in this world, especially in, this day, in these days of social media and everything, it can really, it can be drowned out because there's so much noise out there. But yeah. that moment taught me to just hold on to that voice as you were navigating this, this journey because there are things that you can't always see that is going to be revealed to you if you could just be still and listen. So you're in She's All That, which is this great cult kind of teen movie mm -hmm. uh, that, that's pretty successful. How long between there and auditioning for The West Wing? Uh, that was a year. I did mm. that. I did that movie. It's a Miramax film. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Paul yep. Walker. And okay, this is everyone is saying you like the new Brad Pratt and this and that. You're gonna be great. Oh, your career is gonna yeah. take off after this. It came out in January. Uh, from the time I, I finished doing the movie, I auditioned for things. wasn't booking anything. wasn't booking uh -huh. anything. wasn't booking. Hmm. I never forget when the premiere came up. I'm going down a press line, and they're like, "Oh, so how's it feel to be a part of the brat, like the new, the brat pack of the, of the '90s?" Hey, you know, what I mean? huh. putting the mic in my mouth, and all in the back of my head, I'm thinking, "I need a job." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> this is cute yes. and all, but I need a job. <laughs> you know, they they paid, uh, you know, a lot of the other actors like Freddie and Rachel Lee Cook and everything. They got a yeah. nice check, but I'm like, that check. I mean, it took me for a little while, but it, once again, I need a job. So I, yeah. that was in August I filmed that. I didn't work for a year. And I n never forget, it's during maybe about April of that year, my agent had called me and said, look, Dula, you got to start booking something because the agency is going gonna, is gonna to drop you. I mean, I, I want to keep you, but they, I'm trying to hold them off. But they, there's a lot of restructuring. And, and I said, look, I'm not, I'm not getting good material. This is the material that I'm auditioning for. It's, you know, I said, if you give me yeah. good material, I'm going to do a good job. 
She said, you know, this is what the business is, so you got to figure it out and this and that, and blah, blah. And yeah. I got a lot of love for my agent, uh, for that, you know, for that agent at the time. And then I never forget when I got off the phone with her, I sat there on my floor. There's a rental apartment that I had over there on Bluffside Drive, right there mm. in Studio City. And I had some tears running down my eyes because, you know, I, my money was starting to get low. I hadn't booked in almost a year. She's all that came and went. And I'm not seeing mm. this great change that everyone was talking about. Right. And I never forget saying to myself, Dulay. You will either be a successful actor or you will spend the rest of your life trying. I can still see it to this day. And I'm sitting there on the floor and I said, uh, Dulay, you will be a successful actor or you will spend the rest of your life trying. And I think that was another crossroads in my life because it was showing the power of commitment. I had no real control mm -hmm. over whether I was a su successful actor or not. And that has a lot to do with timing and luck and yeah. who is producing what and what color shirt you wore today. You know what I mean? But I did have control over my commitment to the process. I did yeah. have control over the commitment that I was going to put out there for my journey. And that, I think, was a, an important moment for me because not too long after that, my agency did drop me. But then not too long mm -hmm. after that, our casting director came calling about a show that he was casting. The casting director was named Kevin Scott. I will never forget. And Kevin had read me for a role a year before when I came out mm -hmm. for Smart Guy. Kevin Scott had read me for a role. I had tested for this Warner Brothers pilot. No, I didn't. I went to the studio for a Warner Brothers pilot called Bloomington, Indiana. I didn't go on to network and I didn't book it. But uh, Kevin Scott had remembered me from that audition a year mm -hmm. and some odd months before. So when this role came up, he came searching me out. I left my old agency, was at a new agency. And he went and found me at the new agency and said, there's a role being added to this show called The West Wing. Hmm. I think Dulé is perfect for it. I want him to come in and read for it. And Kevin found me, brought me in. I read with him once in his office. And then I, I went in and read for Aaron Sorkin and Tommy Shlami. I came back about two, a week and a half or two weeks later, read for Aaron Sorkin, Tommy Shlami, I think Mark Buckland and John Wells. And then before I knew it, I was on the set with Martin Sheen, Allison Jenny, Rob Lowe, and wow. Richard Schiff and all the rest of them. It really wow. is. Uh, it was a. It really was a quick turn of events from the time my agency dropped me, till I got the West Wing. It was a, maybe a three month span, hmm. and I'll never forget. I was one day. I was at you know, for me and Freddie Prince have been friends ever since she's all that. And I was over mm -hmm. at Freddie's house, and I was, we were playing video games. And I said, Freddie, if I don't get a job soon, I'm either coming to stay with you or I'm going back to New Jersey because I do not have any more money. I had about maybe two two or three months left of rent that I was able to pay. Yeah, and I said, if I do not get the job. I'm coming to stay with you or I'm going back to New Jersey because I do not have any more money. <laughs> and uh, right at that point, I I think I booked a, a small guest spot on Chicken Soup for the Soul. I, mm. booked, I booked a role in Men of Honor, which got cut out. But if you still go back and watch the movie early on and you watch, you'll see me for like a split second. You'll hear my voice and see me for a split second. And then right on the heels of that, this is all like in a matter of a week and a half, I booked all these things. Wow. Right, right on the heels of that, I booked the West Wing. And wow. the rest has been history. And so you're on six seasons of the of the West Wing. You're playing this kind of special assistant to uh, President Bartlett. Seven seasons. Seven seasons of the West Wing. Seven mm -hmm. seasons, excuse me, of the West Wing. Can you tell me about that experience and whether there were kind of people as part of that show, whether it was Aaron Sorkin or other members of that cast or the production team that either were particularly supportive of you or mentors to you during that time? Uh, well, I always have to go back to Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen mm. was 
you know, it was definitely one of my mentors, one of the people who I look towards to, to see how to navigate myself in this business. Huh. I've been blessed over the years. I mean, Harold Nicholas was somebody when I was a, a child, Gregory Hines was somebody who went mm. from my child into my adulthood until his untimely passing. But the thing about Harold and, and Gregory, they both were tap dancers, but they were right. tap dancers who were able to act and sing. And they went from mm. the stage to the screen and they look like me. So for me, it was being able to see someone who looked like me, who did what I did and went to a place where I wanted to go. So mm. I said, if they can do it, why can't I? If I can yeah. turn on Uptown Saturday night and see Harold Nicholas or turn on the Five Heartbeats and see Harold Nicholas or see Running Scared or White Nights or the countless things that Gregory did and see them on there doing it, why can't I do it? I'm a tap dancer. Yeah. I can sing, not as good as Harold, not as good as Gregory, but I can sing, you know, <laughs> I can act. Why, why not? I think representation matters. It's important to be able to see yourself yeah. in the world that you want to, where you want to go because it allows you to believe that it's even possible. And seeing Harold and Gregory yeah. being on their journey allowed me to believe that it was possible to be a tap dancer, a young black tap dancer, and then go to someplace that I had never been to before, the screen. Yeah. As an Especially actor. growing up in a town where you said you were the only, there was, you and your brother were the only black kids at the school. Yep. And I think seeing yourself matters. Seeing yourself, seeing people who look like you in positions of authority matters. I think seeing people who are out there accomplishing things who look like you, it does matter. I mean, I think people who don't, who have not had that same experience probably could take it for granted a little bit. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, it's everywhere I look, there's someone who looks like me doing all kinds of things. So yes, of course I can do anything. But when you look in around and you don't see that, it is a lot harder to believe that you can. Yeah, it really is. So I'm, I was thankful for Gregory and thankful for Harold. But going back to your question, yeah, Martin Sheen. When I came to the West Wing, yeah, it's like I came from the teen world, and the teen world, a lot of young people are so very cocky, so very much into themselves. It's all about them. In the teen world, especially at the time, it was it was a lot of that. I didn't really connect with that so much. But when I went to the West Wing, I saw someone who was iconic to me had a magnificent career, a long career, a legendary career, mm -hmm. and was so humble, so mm -hmm. personable, uh, so connected to humanity, walked around with their heart and everybody mattered. You know, mm -hmm. Martin is not a subjective person. So he does not say, well, this is, this person is important. So I'm going to disregard everybody else and put all my focus on mm -hmm. the person who I think matters in the room. Martin will come in and say hello to everybody and he will take time engaging everybody. And I always stuck with me and said, wow, and interesting given his role in the show. In the show. He's the, mm -hmm. he's the he, president. He's president, you know, and it, it stuck with me. Okay, a lot of people my age, a lot of actors my age are very ego-driven. You know, they have a lot of that going on. And then I see someone who, like Martin, who has a very long career and is so personable, so approachable. Yeah. Which one do you want to be, Dulé? And mm. so it really taught me, like, no, you can you can be open with your heart. You can be engaging. You can be... I think about others to the best of your ability and not, and still have a career in this town. And and Martin taught me a lot with that. I never forget on, every, I mean, everyone mattered. It was, whether you were Aaron Sorkin or you were a background actor. I'll yeah. never forget, he really lost his lost his top because somebody was treating a background actor in a derogatory way and he just was not having mm -hmm. it. And I never forget being on set, like being on set saying, well, what's going on over there? And someone was treating, I think someone in craft services was treating a background actor a certain way. And he said, we're not doing that here. We're not, wow. and that, that stuck with me. It's like, you don't have to be, yeah. You, yeah, we can still be connected. You would think as actors who we tell stories reflecting humanity, 
you think that we all would be more connected to humanity in our walk, our daily walk with people. But oftentimes yeah. we are not. Yeah. But Martin is someone who, at least from the time that I've known him, has been that way and he stayed consistently that way. So I really do admire him. But beyond him, so many more of like the, the whole cast, is, they're still family to me. I love them all so very dearly. Richard Schiff, Allison Janney, you know, Rob Lowe, Joshua Molina, Mary McCormick, Janelle Maloney, all the cast. I have so much love for them. I mean, a little side note, you, you know, I had to find a place here in Vancouver to for us to stay while Jasmine and I film. And of course, yeah. Levi's here. It was very hard finding a place out here. <laughs> and when you have a friend slash family member who you worked with years ago and you've been friends with over 20 years, who was in their hiatus, you're able to then come and stay in their place. And that person is Richard Schiff. Because I, oh, really? I, this is actually, wow. this is his temporary home. that I'm, I'm, I'm temporarily staying in Richard Schiff's temporary home. Oh, wow. <laughs> here. He's in a hiatus right now for uh, The Good Doctor. But I mean, we've, yeah. we've been friends, all the cast, we've been friends ever since the beginning of the show in 1999. And we're, to this day, we're all very close. We have a, a text chain that we're all a part of and we see each other yeah. as much as we can. And I have so much love for the for the West Wing family. They really have been a, yeah. a great blessing to my life. Well, Dee Dee Myers yeah, uh, is a Harvard Westlake parent and uh, and she was interviewed the first season mm -hmm. uh, of the supporting cast. I will say one thing about Dee Dee. Yeah. Uh, when I first joined the West Wing, I didn't know anything about personal aid to the president. And of course, Dee Dee worked in the real White House. So on, sure, on our right. first trip to DC to film some exteriors, she connected me with Chris Ensko, who was President Clinton's body man or his personal aide. Ah, yeah. So Dee Dee was the one who facilitated that. And I was able to sit down with Chris and, you know, we had a coffee and talked for hours about the position. And it was so valuable for me in crafting Charlie and how he maneuvered on, on screen was that conversation mm -hmm. that we've had, I had with Chris, who, by the way, I'm still friends with all these years later as well. And what did you learn? What, what was, is there some interesting insight uh, about the, the kind of the body man to the president? Simple things like heads of state know him by his first name. Mm. Hesitate with call and say, "Hey, Chris, or walking. Hey, Chris, how are we doing?" You know, which is you know, especially for yeah. in our early twenties, like that's there's not many young people in the West Wing who are that close to power in that way. So much goes through little things like leaning in and letting the president who's who's getting ready to talk to so and so. Blah blah blah. blah. You met him. Blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, kind of uh, feeding all the information <laughs> like Veep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Sorkin's dialogue. You mentioned with bringing the noise that what you can do in between the dialogue. And there's maybe no one more famous for writing great dialogue in film right now than Aaron Sorkin. I know mm -hmm. two of my favorite movies ever are A Few Good Men and The Social Network and love The West Wing as well. So- uh, Side note, as a young actor, it's daunting when you're yeah. ready to go and do the work of Aaron Sorkin. You say, you say, wait a yeah. second, this is the guy who wrote You Can't Handle the Truth. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I'll never forget asking myself, telling myself, Dulay, just don't look like the guy who doesn't belong. You have Martin Sheen there, you have Rob Lowe there, you have Allison Janney, John Spencer. You're doing the words of Aaron Sorkin. You know that song, one of these people is doing their own thing. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, <laughs> don't be that guy, you know? Yeah. And so how did you do it? What, was it just a lot of preparation? I mean, how did you approach it and make it your own? It was definitely preparation. I, again, like I was saying before, is I'm a big believer in education and getting the tools yeah. that you need. I don't think I would be able to handle the blessing of that moment of being on the, getting the West Wing and working with that level of talent without the years that I spent studying with Bill Esper back in New York mm. to mm -hmm. learn the craftsmanship of acting, to get the yeah. tools of, 
of athletes, be able to, to be able to go in my pocket and know how to navigate certain things when I when I came to crossroads again. But I with Aaron's stuff, what I really his his dialogue, the first thing that stuck with me was it's a song. Mm. It's music. And mm. as a tap dancer, it allowed me to very easily connect. Ah, interesting. It's like this is all yeah. this is all a song. As, you know, even with tap dancing, you you're singing a song with your feet. Like that's all. That's yeah. that's what you're doing with your feet, but it's a song. Yeah. You know, it's percussion, and that's how I felt with Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. It is all just uh-huh. music. If you could just if you could get into the rhythm, of the it, rhythm. It's all right there. I would show an example, but I know I'm going to mess up some of his dialogue. But it's really just like <laughs> all of those the West Wing jargon and this and that. Charlie, send us over to the OEOB, and then yes, Mister President. You know, and even the even the little right. dot, dot dots that he had in the script—that's the air. That's the air inside the the beat that Savion Glover had taught me years ago. Exactly. Taking those yeah. beats, you know, that dot 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 matters. Don't just yeah. don't feel like you have to rush through that. Let let it breathe, and then yeah. and then dive right back in. You know, because that's that's all a part of it. I'll never forget when Yo Yo Ma came and did the West Wing. Uh, he was yeah. playing a song. And I kept trying to figure it out, how he was counting it, and I couldn't get it. So all day long, I'm going back to him, like, you know, how do you how are you hearing this? And he would talk about how he would stretch the notes and this and that. Mm. Finally, I was able to understand what he was saying, and then I was able to dance with him for a second there while he was playing his cello. But it is the same thing yeah. of taking all it's all it's all the same. The way he would yeah. stretch the notes is the same way in Aaron. It's it's going and then there's a pause. It's going back and forth. Mm. It's it's all mm-hmm. it's all music, and if you can tap into the song that he is trying to sing, then you can make it uh make it all work. That's my philosophy anyway. That's how I approached it at the time. But Aaron's just obviously a, a, a genius, and it really does. It really was one of the greatest gifts that I had so far in my career was being able to do his work at that time. Yeah. and it really has been a blessing of a lifetime too because they're all still so close friends of mine. They're beyond friends. They really are family. The West, there is a, yeah. a West Wing family, and I love each and every one of them. You're staying so at one of their houses. <laughs> exactly. Look, staying at one of the houses. You know, we got ISR training for Levi, you know, which is a swim thing. Yeah. Teaching yeah. how to swim. You know, we don't have uh-huh. a pool in our yard, but, you know, Auntie Allison had a pool. <laughs> so he was going, oh, Allison yeah, so we were going over to her house to do the swim training. Jasmine was filming her show, Raising Dion in Atlanta over the top uh-huh. of the year, and we needed to come out there and look for a place to stay. Once Mary McCormick heard that we were coming out to Atlanta, she was like, oh, no, you need to come and stay in this neighborhood. This is the realtor who you call. We'll find a place for you. It's, it wow. really is a, a, a yeah. loving family. You know, Rob, I hit up Rob the other day because a friend of mine wanted a birthday shout out for one of his relatives who has loved Rob. Uh, and he's like, I don't I know it's a lot. Is it possible? It's a big ask. Rob did it in a second. You know, it's, wow. it's so much. Love. I have so much love for them. I really cannot yeah. say it enough. I'm probably, you know, you probably at this point saying, we get it, Dulé. You love the West Wing family. It's true. I do. So before we go, Dulé, there's a few kind of gets to know you questions to finish up. Okay. They relate to Los Angeles, where you are not now, but hopefully you'll be returning mm-hmm. after this movie. We are known for our movies, our food, and our climate. So first, what's your all-time favorite movie? What's Dulé Hill's all-time Ooh, favorite movie? My all-time favorite movie. That's a, probably Coming to America. I love mm. that movie. The original. The original was I can still watch that to this day. Yeah. And I'll and anytime I put it on and I will I will laugh. I think that's the most I've asked this question. I this is episode, I don't know, thirty four or thirty five. That may be the most 
popular answer to this question, by the way, is coming to Are America. you serious? Yeah. <laughs> People love coming to America. My wife loves coming to America. Everybody. It, it, it's a great movie. Second, what's your favorite meal in Los Angeles? Is there a restaurant you and Jasmine love, or is there something you guys make at home? You know, in Los Angeles, probably sushi. You and I, we would order our sugar fish. That's like how we order mm. sugar fish. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we could have stock in sugar fish, we probably would because- Get the trust me? Yeah, the, the trust me, Nazawa. Oh, the big one. Yeah, Nazawa. Nazawa. Okay. <laughs> that's probably still our, <laughs> especially during this time as of late, that's our, our go-to. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's so consistent. It's never disappointing. No. It's never unsatisfying. No, now that things are opening back up in LA, that is our plan once we finish here is we're going to go to uh, Sugarfish and have some sushi. Third, what's your favorite place in Los Angeles? Could be a part of town or uh, a street? My home with my family. I love Jasmine. I love Kennedy. <laughs> and I love Levi. <laughs> That's my favorite place, my most peaceful place. I really, uh, I love being there. Good. For a year of COVID-19, that's that's a good answer, I guess. After a year, to be able to still say that says a lot. Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> sure enough. Yeah. yeah. And lastly, last question. As we mentioned, you're a parent of uh, an 11th grader and a two-year-old. Um, I'm the parent of a two-and-a-half-year-old, and we actually have another little girl on the way. Mm, congratulations. Um, thank you. You will not uh, be getting any rest anytime soon. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> What is your best parenting advice, either that has been given to you or original to you? I think the best parenting advice would be two-part thing, would be to keep on learning. Mm -hmm. yeah, keep on learning because you can kind of easily fall into, I know how to do this, but there's always yeah. something else that you can learn. And yeah. also honor the gift that is inside of your child mm. or your children. Honor that. Honor their passions. Honor, honor their voice. Encourage mm -hmm. their voice. Even if it's different from maybe what yours are exactly. or what you might thought should be it there. It should be. Exactly. And it's like as long as you can stay open, even though it's a two-part answer, it still is also the same because if I keep learning and keep staying open to learning new things, then I will keep leading into what is my child trying to say? What is their spirit trying to say about what they want to be, what they want to do, what they need in this moment? Yeah. Keep learning. Keep leaning in. I have another answer too. Is uh, sure. The best parenting advice I can give is have a good partner. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree with that one. I'm a, I'm a great parent because I married Jasmine Simon. That's very easy. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, say hello yeah, to Jasmine. Will do. And thank you so much for joining me today and for talking about some of the people who supported you along the way. Um, I'm sorry for the losses that you had as a result of COVID. And thank you for joining the supporting cast. Oh, I appreciate it. It was my pleasure.